Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and I am super excited to have with me today, Sama Morningstar. Sama founded the Womb-Centered Healing Temple in 2018 after a pilgrimage to Glastonbury, UK, where her and I met for a womb awakening retreat as well. And she's devoted to supporting people of all genders on their womb awakening journey. And really on a more personal note, and as already mentioned there, I met Sama indeed in 2018 and she has become, she's become really a mentor, a colleague and a beautiful friend with whom I collaborate and feel very safe and comfortable to share what is going on with me as well and to whom I really look up to for her integrity and the way she's really walking her talk and really fully walking this path of warm awakening and ushering in the rise of the divine feminine. So welcome, Sama. Very excited to have you with me today. Thank you, Emmy. My goodness, you just said those things. I wasn't expecting you to say such sweet and touching things about me. I I thank you uh, oh. for sharing so so sincerely. Um, I, I the feeling is quite mutual. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It really is a blessing to have you with us, and I am super excited to be learning more from you today. Mm. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Mm. Now, Sama, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I always like to start by asking my guests, "What does Sacred Feminine Power mean to you personally?" Uh, well, my uh, focus in the past number of years has, has really centered on the womb and the powers of the womb. And th this is both a very um, biological uh, sense of power the biological power of the womb to create new life and generate life force energy and creative energy. And as I talk about that, we're sort of bridging the gap into the second type of power that the womb holds, which is mystical power. So generating life force energy and creative energy um, starts to, to move in that mystical direction and the womb really is the portal for us to connect with, with the, the places and the, the systems in the universe that generate life energy and regenerate life. And so sacred feminine power to me is about life regeneration, life replenishment, um, and, and creative flow in, in individuals, in, our, in the collective human experience, and in, in the universe as a whole, in all that is, um, so that every, everything has a womb center um, and a womb space. And so the, 
every person and every uh, creature and every aspect of, of life has that place from which that life energy flows. And, the, and, the, and our physical biological wombs give us a map for that life regenerative power and energy that's flowing through all of life. Beautiful. And I would love to talk a little bit more about our wombs, our physical wombs as maps a little bit later, if you don't mind. Of course. Yeah. But for now, I would love for you to share with us one challenge that you have faced in your life that's really helped you to understand and activate the sacred feminine power within you and on your life's path. Well, for me, uh, <clears throat> one of the biggest challenges back in my late 20s, early 30s, right around my Saturn return, is that my sexuality would, would really shut down at a certain point in any, um, as soon as I got uh, like three months into any new relationship with a partner, and I really long to have a long-term intimate relationship with someone, but I kept having these relationships where after three months, my sexuality would just shut down. I would be um, no longer interested or aroused by my partner. And I couldn't figure out why that was happening. You know, after it happened a few times with a few different partners, I could no longer blame it on them. <laughs> And so I had to see who the common denominator was, who the constant was in this pattern. And um, it really started a process of, of curiosity and exploration and awareness around what was causing that. And so I um, began to explore and began to seek out um, teachings around uh, healing anything that might be getting in the way of full sexual development and, and expression, and as well as um, intimacy, because I, it, I could see that, I mean, I could be fully sexually um, open and expressive for those first three months. I was, it was great, right? And then it was after those first three months when there was, um, challenges and intimacy that things started to shut down. So, um, you know, as soon as there was perhaps a, a recognition of a, a major difference in of opinion or of behavioral response to certain things, or, um, you know, you usually after a period of time, as you're getting close to somebody, you, there's some kind of disagreement or um, friction in the relationship and as soon as that would occur that's that would that would sort of I, I that's when things would start to shut down so I was aware that it was about intimacy as well and so um, so that challenge really inspired me my my journey of self-discovery and uh, exploring healing approaches that could um, help crack that pattern open for me because I was determined to not live a life of, 
of um, sexual dissatisfaction and, um, you know, that was devoid of, of intimate long-term connections with people. So um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing um, about that so openly. And I have a feeling quite a few of our listeners will also resonate with that. What, what, would, you, what would you say was the, the divine meaning or the hidden blessing in that challenge now that you are on the other side of it or navigating it on, in, a, in a different way? What would be the divine meaning there? <sighs> well, hmm. The divine meaning uh, coming up for me is really how important those kinds of intimate connections are for us. And that, and, and, and the things that um, get in the way of us being able to have that kind of connection are essential for us to heal, not only as individuals, but as, um, as a collective. And that if we, as we explore what gets in the way of that, as individuals, we can start to have a map. Here I am with maps. I, gosh, I, I sure am liking <laughs> that. The idea of these maps um, lately, uh, it gives us a map of what's what's hindering the regeneration and the generation really of of humanity of, of uh, a life affirming uh, human existence um, yeah because that you know our sexual energy is our creative energy and our and it happens in intimacy with each other, right? So our sexual, our sexuality and our intimacy goes hand in hand. And it's our creative energy, it's our life force energy. And when that is diminished, we, the results are less life force, less vitality and um, less aliveness. And that's exactly what humanity as a whole is suffering from right now is that most of our, a lot of our systems and ways of being really diminish our life force, diminish our vitality, as well as that vitality of, of, of all living beings around us and the planet as a whole. And so we've really gotten into kind of a funk as a species, uh, a life diminishing funk and so, um, you know, the, the fairly common challenge of feeling like our, our sexuality is, is shut down or, uh, you know, suppressed in some way is, is part of the root of, of that funk. And that we can, um, by attending to that and um, learning how to open that up again, we can uh, defunk humanity, I feel. <laughs> Sometimes the way I say things is so funny to me. <laughs> Defunct humanity. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so how, how do you go about defunking humanity then, Sama? What, what, what should our listeners start doing or be, need to be aware of? Oh, my goodness. So um, 
you know, for me, again, womb-centered healing has become that central devotion for, you know, along this, this, these lines. And, um, you know, for me, uh, the funkiness showed up in, gosh, I, I can't have a relationship like I would like to have, right? But for others, there might be some other challenge that might not look exactly like that. Um, a lot of people have um, have difficult menstruation. So just like the seasons of the year are the life regenerative processes of the planet, so the menstrual cycle is the life regenerating process of our bodies. And when that's disrupted or difficult or painful, that's a sign that something's funky for us as individuals, biologically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And just like uh, the, the extreme weather that many people are experiencing in the world right now, um, things like wildfires uh, feel in my area are very extreme and in Australia and other places in the world, the wildfires have become very extreme because of um, fire suppression and the suppression of, of fire, which is a natural part of the ecosystem in certain areas. Um, creates disruption. And again, this is this is life suppressing practice, one of the life suppressing practices that we've adopted as humans in our, um, well, I won't deign to try and say why we're doing that, but <laughs> not in this podcast, another another time, perhaps. <laughs> but, um, but that that life suppressing impulse then creates li life is really powerful. And when you try to suppress it, it finds its way and it's usually in a big way to make up for all the time that it has been suppressed. And so it's the same with the menstrual cycle. When we suppress it, when we plug it up, when we are ashamed of it, when we hide it, you know, this has been the, the cultural approach to menstruation for many generations mm -hmm. and that gets built up and then it becomes very insistent on doing its job or it goes into complete hiding and disappears. And there's a variety of different ways that the menstrual cycle is disruptive, is disrupted and, and disruptive to our lives. And so paying attention to the menstrual cycle and restoring harmonious menstruation uh, through, um, you know, first shifting our attitude about the menstrual cycle and, and recognizing it as an important and valuable part of our lives that can guide us on our creative and life regenerative journey is a good first step. And um, there are many practices that can help us with that. You know, the, the menstrual cycle, looking to heal any disruptions or difficulty in our menstrual cycle often takes us on, you know, on a journey, you know, the medical doctors tend to not have a whole lot to offer us in that regard. Um, usually just birth control pills, which is just a further suppression mm -hmm. or other, other hormonal birth control, which 
may or may not uh, produce the the results that we're looking for as far as you know actually having a harmonious menstrual cycle once more. Usually, there the doctor's approach is to get rid of the menstrual cycle, and a lot of people actually deliberately want to get rid of it because it's so it's so disrupted that they can't even imagine having a healthy menstrual cycle that would be a life generating and supportive part of their lives. And it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the result of many long uh, generations of suppression of the menstrual cycle. And so the, the medical approach doesn't tend to have a whole lot to offer unless you're seeing a functional medicine doctor or, and, or a Chinese medicine doctor or an Ayurvedic doctor who are who have a long-standing or renewed approach to healing the whole body that takes into account and sees the importance the menstrual cycle, and um, and really considers all of the symptoms and how those symptoms are related to the whole rest of the body. So uh, shifting the perspective from getting rid of the menstrual cycle to restoring a harmonious menstrual cycle as a, an important part of our biological, emotional, and spiritual well-being is a really important first step for a lot of womb bearers. Now, for those who don't have a womb, um, getting in touch with the, with the cycles of nature and organizing our lives around those cycles of nature. So for those who don't have a womb, um, perhaps there are people who do have a womb and do have a menstrual cycle in our lives, uh, in their lives, and they can orient to that um, and support that, that menstrual cycle in their loved ones and their close ones to be harmonious in whatever way they can by participating in the sacred cycle of that. And also connecting with the cycles of the day and the cycles of the moon and the cycles of the sun, the seasonal cycles, and letting our lives be organized by the cycles of nature instead of by, you know, these other systems of organizing our lives that diminish the vitality of our lives by disconnecting us with these life regenerative cycles. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of production oriented uh, ways of organizing our lives that uh, are meant to make us all very product productive and profitable members of a society that's that's organized around a very few people having uh, extreme wealth and luxury while the rest of us are just slaving away to sustain that and that is very life diminishing that whole system of being diminishes the vitality of everyone, even the ones who have the luxurious wealth, um, their vitality is diminished. And, and so that's, you know, at the root of it. So when we start to reorient to the natural cycles uh, that are designed in our biology to regenerate life uh, and have periods of rest and rejuvenation and replenishment, have periods of, um, uh, letting things break down to become nourishment for new growth and new life, um, letting go of one way of being so that it can uh, become compost and nourish 
a new way of being. This is how life regenerates itself. And, um, you know, we have to relearn that because for so long we've been uh, indoctrinated into and, and adopted these ways of being of, of constantly production, constant production, not letting go of anything, having to be in control or in charge of everything. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question somewhat. Mm, absolutely, Salma, thank you for that. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more from you about why it is that our menstrual cycles have been turned into something that we ought to be ashamed of or something that we see as a nuisance or a curse even and why we have been taught for such a long time now to try and hide the cycle, try and hide our bleeding rather than recognizing the sacredness of our blood and the cycles. Well, there's quite a few theories about why we would uh, engage in such life diminishing belief systems and practices. It doesn't seem to make sense when we really look at what's actually happening with that, you know, uh, when we really recognize how powerful and sacred the menstrual cycle is, why would we suppress it like that, right? Mm -hmm. It really doesn't make sense. And the, the theory that, um, there's a couple of theories uh, and, and stories that I tell about it uh, um, to explore kind of why that, that makes a little bit more sense. So one of them is the theory that at some point in human development, because you can look at archeological evidence and see that, that for hundreds of thousands of years, there was a, there was a harmonious relationship, a partnership relationship, um, amidst you know human cultures within their within the tribes and groups human groups and between the tribes and groups there weren't there wasn't large-scale warfare or anything like that you can see the archaeological evidence and there were lots of little statues of uh, that revered the the feminine form and particularly the uh, you know the, so it seemed like the the spirituality of people at that time was in reverence to the feminine form and the feminine ability to create new life because the the pubic triangle the feminine pubic triangle was often very emphasized in these statues and paintings you know uh, prehistoric paintings of of humanity um, there was this this reverence for the feminine and for the female form. And then you see all of the, suddenly all of this um, warfare starting to happen. Um, and there's been modern studies that show that reverence and celebration of menstruation at, for young girls at first menstruation is directly correlated with a more peaceful society. And those societies that do not revere and celebrate menstruation are more warlike. So seeing that in modern research and then correlating that with this uh, archaeological evidence says, okay, we could, we could kind of assume that when we stopped revering menstruation is also when there was a beginning of, of widespread warlike behavior. Um, 
and violent behavior towards each other. And there's a theory that this happened when there was a, a big geological disruption, like a big meteor hit the planet. So big that it created the Gulf of Mexico and knocked the planet off of its rotation of its axis. So it had been previously rotating around an axis that was parallel to the sun so that the seasons of the year were relatively stable. And there, there weren't the big <clears throat> seasonal swings that we have now. And then we have those seasonal swings because our axis is a little bit off. The planet's axis is a little bit off parallel to the sun so mm -hmm. that Sometimes of the year, one end, you know, the northern hemisphere is closer to the sun and other times of the year, the southern hemisphere is closer to the sun. So this creates these seasonal swings of weather differences, which makes it so that sometimes of the year, some parts of the planet do not, um, aren't growing food. Hmm. And there's, you know, numerous months when you can't just pick fruit fruit off of a tree or harvest food from from the garden, right? And so not only was that starting in this theory, but there was also, um, you know, a major period of time of, of um, geological and weather distress from this um, meteor. So that, that, you know, there was a major collective trauma that happened and then <clears throat> needing to adjust to this new way of, of the seasons. And so that this, this collective trauma created this warlike response, which is a kind of like a trauma response, which was adaptive at first because people were freaking out and, you know, hurting each other and people would take charge and and protect their loved ones and things like that. And um, resources became scarce and like that. And at first it was adaptive, an adaptive process to adjust to this new way of nature. But there was also this, um, this collective um, fear of nature now, like whereas uh, nature was this supportive, nourishing, thing that was revered prior to that now it became this thing to be feared and controlled because it had been so um scary that process so you know that's the theory that that makes the most sense to me knowing what i know about what what trauma can do to an individual um that this collective trauma sort of created that same uh kind of pattern in humanity as a whole. And that um, these systems that, that, are, um, that we have established that sort of fight and try to control the natural cycles can be traced back to that sort of a trauma. And these systems of trying to dominate each other and dominate the menstrual cycle and no longer revering the menstrual cycle um, are all symptomatic of that that process. I hope that answers your question some. Um, 
yeah, I might have, I might have other aspects of it that I can get to again too, but I just wanted to pause. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. And I have heard you talk about this theory in the past as well. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and of course, um, then you have this almost a self-perpetuating vicious cycle where you are no longer revering the menstrual cycle, leading to more conflict, leading to more um, hatred amongst people, and then, you know, more creation of conditions where the reverence of the menstrual cycle becomes less and less important and completely sidelined and probably also a tool for power and control. Exactly. And that's the thing. The menstrual cycle is so powerful. It's a force of nature. Mm. And, yeah. and it connects menstruators with with the power of nature mm. and um and it gives menstruators a lot of power this power to create new life and yeah when um when we learn about that power and are fully initiated into that power it connects us with the earth in a way that we can um be quite influential in the way that food grows and in the way that the seasons flow and we can be quite influential in our relationships with people. And um, there's all kinds of, of really powerful um, human abilities that are activated when we're fully initiated into our womb power. And mm -hmm you know, gaining control over that was a big, is a big motiv motivation of these systems for, particularly for um, people who don't have wombs, mm -hmm. who, you know, wanted to have that control. Yeah. The way that they could have that control was by somehow trying to control the womb bearers which was which they couldn't really do unless they tried to strip them of that womb power mm -hmm. by you know shaming them for having it and um you know creating all kinds of rules and laws and um yeah just over the a period of time there was you know more and more ways that that came up to um to diminish that power for womb bearers and steal it for non-womb bearers. Mm, absolutely. And that becoming a very systematic, very repressive, very, well, patriarchal way of running the world well, that, that we are kind of starting to, to emerge out of now with this greater understanding and greater awakening into our womb consciousness, into the power of our wombs and our menstrual cycles. And I have chills as I say this and listen to you, Summer, because despite all the craziness and the fear and the division and polarity that we're seeing in our world at the moment, this very deliberate fear-mongering, um, there is such an amazing, powerful wave of awakening taking place on our planet, isn't it? Yeah, and that's actually why there is so much fear mongering and mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
sort of a, a, a turning up of the volume of all of the life suppressive narratives and um, systems because yeah. of it. And if, you, and if you look at an individual trauma healing process, okay, um, for those of us who've been involved in, <clears throat> in, in the healing process, what usually happens for an individual as they're realizing, as we realize that and start to become aware of a self-destructive pattern that we're in, say, um, we love pizza, okay? Just as a simple <laughs> example. And um, we know that the wheat gluten and the cheese on the pizza um, and maybe even the pepperoni uh, is no longer good for our health, okay? And it's, it's a life-diminishing habit that, that we know that maybe we need to move away from eating pizza and, and starting to eat a different kind of food for our health. Well, that craving for that pizza and all the reasons why you should be eating pizza are going to get stronger and stronger the closer you get to actually giving it up. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that happens is if you do manage to give it up for a period of time, and then that craving comes in and all the reasons why you should have, go ahead and have another pizza come in and you're going to eat one piece of that pizza. And it's going to really disagree with you much more than it did when you were eating it all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're going to have, you know, whatever symptoms you used to have just a little bit, you're going to have in a big way. Mm -hmm. And so this is the natural part. And I use dietary change, but the same is, is true of um, behavioral patterns that are uh, trauma coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So for example, relationship patterns of, you know, codependency or, um, abusive relationship patterns, or I don't know, maybe you can share um, more specific examples of, of trauma coping mechanisms. Uh, the pizza was a big one for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I think it makes it very, very clear uh, yeah. you know, in very simple terms how, how that trauma mechanism works, absolutely. Yeah, and so we're experiencing that on a collective level of you know, the, all of the deep subconscious collective uh, fears and unresolved traumas are going to come up and try to reassert control in the situation very strongly when we're on the verge of becoming liberated from those patterns. And so I see all of this extreme divisiveness and fear mongering and intense, insane resistance to change that we're seeing in, in, um, in our political arenas and even in our spiritual arenas. Um, I see that as very positive sign, even though it's painful and difficult, it's also a sign that change is happening, whether some like it or not. And, um, you know, the, and I feel like, and I've talked about this before, I feel like as each of us as individuals 
really fortifies our own ability to hold space for healing in ourselves mm -hmm. and in our loved ones. And the more we, we really devote ourselves to that, we're building our capacity as individuals and we're also um, building, it's like we're, we're making deposits into the collective bank account that needs to be at a certain level in order for more people to awaken mm -hmm. to the healing that they need to do as individuals. And some of the most expensive awakening processes in this regard, not, I'm not talking about somebody's individual bank account, I'm talking about our collective energetic bank account of what needs to be in savings and available is the one, some of the most expensive people to awaken are the ones that have been the most entrenched in the life degenerative uh, ways of being. Mm -hmm. So the, the people who are super greedy and who are super willing to abuse and bully others to get their, uh, you know, selfish needs met, selfish desires met, the people who are super wealthy and are siphoning resources uh, from everyone else in the world. These are the people that it's going to take a uh, a lot in that collective energetic bank account of healing and transformation mm. to, to, for, for the energetics of awakening to reach them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what can we, Sama, as, as individuals do to contribute towards that process of awakening? Well, like I said, uh, well, like we were talking about earlier, you know, paying, mm. it, paying attention to the menstrual cycle and mm -hmm. restoring the menstrual cycle as a harmonious life generating power in our personal lives and um, openly sharing about that in our communities to start to restore and awaken an awareness of that in more and more people mm -hmm. um, is a very powerful practice um, and and doing our uh, in actively and continuously and tirelessly engaging in our own personal trauma recovery process which healing the menstrual cycle is going to be central to that for womb bearers mm -hmm. yeah okay because any unresolved trauma that we have stored in our body is going to be affecting our health and well-being, our biological health, as well as our emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be having an effect on our menstrual cycle. If not, I mean, it may be that our menstrual cycle is the main thing that it's affecting, right? But it could be affecting other things. Like for me, it, it affects my joints and other systems in my body more mm -hmm. so than my menstrual cycle but for other people it might be you know really affecting their menstrual cycle and their fertility mm -hmm. um and so just really paying it you know the work that i do i call bio mystical womb healing work um and also just bio mystical healing work because um and the womb is at the center of it because the womb is at the center of our bodies and the center of our biology and the center of our process of restoring 
life regenerative power to our bi biology and, and our whole system. Um, mm -hmm. But just the term biomystical uh, gives us uh, an approach of, of seeing how our biology and our mysticism are interwoven and we need to reweave that if, if we've been taught, like many of us have, that our biology and our emotions are two separate things, that we need uh, separate people who have separate, you know, degrees of expertise to help us with. And that, that you know, that they can't say or do anything for us if, if somebody's focused on our psychology, like a psychologist isn't supposed to, um, is supposed to have nothing to do with your biological health and well-being. And the same with a, a, a medical doctor is supposed to refer you to a psychologist. And yet there's this, this whole overlap area that, um, that often gets ignored or swept under the rug uh, because it's inextricable. Mm -hmm. And so um, learning to see the, our biology as a map, here we go with the maps again. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and particularly our menstrual cycle as a map, not only for our biological health, but also for our emotional and spiritual health and well-being. So the, the, our our biology is the is sometimes the easiest to feel because we'll have um, symptoms that are obvious, and and some people have a harder time feeling our emotions or our sense of spiritual well being because we've been taught to ignore and suppress mm -hmm. those aspects of ourselves, mm -hmm. and so we often don't start to pay attention to that until our biological our body starts to tell us that because we have a disease or an injury or something like that, a big thing that disrupts our, our normal functioning, right, mm -hmm. biologically. And so paying attention to that, not only to get rid of that symptom so we can carry on living life as we were, but to also take that, that illness or that injury as a sign that something's not quite right in the overall system of things. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I mean, we are going through that collectively right now with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We were all, uh, you know, having to come to terms with the fact that our systems are not healthy for the planet. Mm -hmm. And that just like um, <clears throat> with monoculture in agriculture, when you have an overpopulation and a, an exclusive population of a specific species, it becomes, that species becomes susceptible to disease. Mm -hmm. And that's when we have to take all these drastic measures. That's why our food supply is so um, laced with antibiotics and listen to that word, antibiotic, yeah. anti-life, yes. right? That's right. Killing off of life. Um, and so our collective health issues are the same thing. 
Um, and so I, I'm kind of riffing on all of the, on the, on the question here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how, what kind of practical guidance this is accepted to sort of shift our perspectives from, you know, some of the mainstream ideas about what restoring health looks like and what it actually needs to be in order for us to, to do so um, as individuals and collectively. So, you know, uh, looking deeper at whatever symptoms, biological or emotional that we have, you know, there's so much, like if we look at mental health, for example, and how many people are suffering from depression and anxiety and various other me mental health issues and how they're often tr um, treated or told or come to believe that something's wrong with them mm -hmm. for having this yeah but when we look at the all of the systems that we're living in that are so diminishing to our vitality and to our humanity it makes perfect sense that people would be upset and anxious yeah. and depressed because humanity is just being, uh, it's, it's just, yeah, the things that, that, that make for a happy, healthy human life have been diminished and stripped from us and abused for so long. Mm -hmm. that of course, large numbers of people are gonna feel depressed and anxious. Mm. Absolutely. And that depression and that anxiety is going to be bringing a lot of money to certain factions of the society uh, who, who are focused and, and benefit from and live off from collective illness and disease and anxiety. Yeah, that's, a, that's an aspect of it. You know, every, mm -hmm. the, when we have a for-profit um, medical system, and a, a, an economic system that um, doesn't value caring for each other and true and true well-being, but but values just making profits for very few at the expense of everyone else. Then yeah, that's what the result is. Mm. So whatever's profitable for that very few is more important than the well-being of everyone. And there, that's mm. that's like the crux of this collective trauma response mm -hmm. is this um, impulse to hoard wealth and steal wealth from others as a self-protective mechanism. Because if you go back to that major catastrophe theory, right, that the initial response to survive might have needed to be, oh, whenever you find food, collect as much of it as you can and save it mm -hmm. and, and, and keep collecting. And even if you have to steal it from someone else, just collect as much food as you can for your family and save it because last, you know, last time we, first time we had winter, suddenly there were three months when there was no food available and we hadn't hoarded any food and a bunch of people starved and died through the winter. So this time, the ones who survived, they got smart and they're going to hoard it and they're going to fight tooth and nail to hoard that wealth. 
And that initial trauma response, just like it does when we have individual early childhood trauma, will develop these initial trauma responses and keep repeating them even as we're adults and we're no longer in that danger anymore. Mm. We're going to keep doing that same trauma response because it got so deeply embedded in our development. Yeah, absolutely. And so that early trauma response of hoard all that, the food and resources is being played out by these people that are just, you know, hoarding the wealth and, and abusing and bullying and, and exploiting other people to get more and more wealth for themselves. It's just a, a re repeat of that early initial adaptive trauma response that's now become self-destructive, which is the same thing that happens for individuals who've experienced early childhood trauma become self-destructive and it takes a it can take a minute to to even see how self-destructive it is mm -hmm. and have the support needed to heal from that and to resolve the trauma so that you're not continually repeating that same pattern that's become self-destructive Mm -hmm. So then we're back to the whole, we need a collective bank account to be able to support uh, these, these extreme hoarders <laughs> out of that trauma response mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that we can all have what we need instead of, you know, getting beat over the head um, for even, you know, wanting to, to, to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh resonating so strongly with everything that you're saying, Sama, and um, a sobering listening for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, but something that needs to be understood, something that needs to be spoken about, sung from the rooftops uh, for more and more people to really start to understand at a really deep level what is actually yeah. going on on our planet. Yeah. And, you know, just to bring it back to the womb-centered part, Okay, mm. so the the womb and becoming uh, aware of and awakening our womb powers um, is just the medicine we need for this. Because if we look at what naturally happens uh, for for a lot of people when the womb blossoms and produces new life there's a natural ability in most womb bearers, you know, that have a certain degree of health to nurture others mm -hmm. and to care for others. And this is what's missing in the extreme hoarders whose whole, uh, you know, when we, when we, uh, and I'm not, and it's not just extreme hoarders. We all have, this indoctrination that we have to that it's okay to harm others in order for to ensure our own wealth and mm -hmm. and luxury mm -hmm. right yeah and so the 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 natural inclination of the womb to create new life does so by caring for another by giving one's own resources, by giving of one's own, by creating nourishment inside our own body mm -hmm. in order to nourish someone else. Yeah. And that, that womb power 
is it's very obviously the exact remedy <laughs> for this self-destructive harming others for one's own benefit mm -hmm. that we're suffering from so so gravely on the in the collective mm -hmm. absolutely wow summer you've given us so much information and so much food for thought during this discussion, I really, really appreciate that. If our listeners wanted to, to find you online or get in touch with you, Sama, how would they do that? Well, um, you can find my find me on my website at wombcenteredhealing.com. And um, also on Facebook, you can find me uh, at Sama Morningstar. That's, Facebook is my main place uh, for social media engagement and I have a Facebook group there as well called the womb centered healing temple um, so people can you know check those places out Beautiful. I, also have, I also have a podcast that Emmy's been on as a guest you've been on Emmy a few <laughs> yes, times uh, that's right and so on most podcast platforms uh, you can look for womb centered healing and find my podcast Mm, beautiful thank you summer and i also understand that you've got a gift for our listeners yes i want to offer listeners a free bio mystical womb steaming assessment mm. or otherwise known as a womb wellness assessment so i'll share the the link for folks to sign up for that it's a it's a session it's a one-to-one -one session with me where we look at your um your menstrual cycle and any messages looking at the map of your menstrual cycle for your for your overall health and well-being beautiful oh that is awesome summer thank you so much for that and overall just very appreciative of all the wisdom that you have shared and all the nudges towards waking up <laughs> that um, I think will be very, very helpful for our listeners as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emmy. Mm, thank you. And now everybody, just for a moment, let's focus our intention on this inspirational energy that's been activated today. And imagine sending this energy to everyone, everywhere on our planet, to remember that in the end, and in the beginning, we truly are all one. And that the more of us are starting to reclaim our power, whether it's through our menstrual cycles or through the cycles of nature, the more quickly our planet will also shift and ascend. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here.